This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Recently, Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty President Mark Rienzi wrote an op-ed piece in the Washington Examiner, stating that there could be some major victories for religious liberty coming this year. What are these potential victories? Mr. Rienzi discusses his predictions with me as my guest on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. An abortion clinic, along with two abortion doctors and the Center for Reproductive Rights, petitioned the Supreme Court Friday to halt a Louisiana law that requires doctors at abortion clinics to have admitting privileges at local hospitals. On Tuesday, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito responded by giving Louisiana two days to respond to the petition. After a January 18th Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling upheld the 2014 law, lawyers for the Center for Reproductive Rights petitioned the Supreme court, arguing that the law was identical to a Texas law that the court had struck down in Whole Woman's Health versus Helderstadt in 2016, and that it would severely reduce abortion access for women in that state. Five justices would be required to grant the emergency stay that the abortion advocates are requesting. This means at least one of the five conservative justices would have to join the liberal justices in granting that stay. Virginia Representative Kathy Tran introduced a bill that would allow for abortion up until birth in cases in which the health or the life of the mother is at risk. The so-called Repeal Act would have removed all existing abortion restrictions in the state of Virginia, and as Tran had admitted, that includes allowing abortion even when a woman is in active labor about to deliver. The Repeal Act would not only have allowed for abortion until birth for any, but would also have done away with informed consent measures, abortion facility safety requirements, allowed dangerous late-term abortions to be committed in outpatient facilities, and would have removed ultrasound requirements and Virginia's 24 hour waiting period for abortions. The Repeal Act, however, was defeated in a committee vote, but almost half the Democratic caucus supported it, despite the fact that it allowed for abortion of viable babies even if the mother was in active labor. Parents in New Jersey will see a third option for gender on the birth certificate starting February the 1st. In addition to male and female, there will be a non-binary gender-neutral option. It also makes it easier for non-binary and transgender people to change their birth certificates to affirm what they believe is their gender identity. Legalized euthanasia and assisted suicide have the longest history in the Netherlands. 17 years ago, two practices became legal under what were supposed to be very limited circumstances and available only to those undergoing unbearable suffering with no reasonable alternatives for relief. But time has brought a loosening of definitions and a level of comfortability with the practices, increasingly extending the availability far beyond the patients with terminal conditions or extreme pain. The Guardian newspaper of England recently reported that well over a quarter of the deaths in the Netherlands in 2017 were induced. This included more than 6,500 who died by euthanasia, about 1,900 who killed themselves, and about 32,000 who died under palliative sedation. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County. 
inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. The work that he will I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Mr. Mark Renzi, who is the president of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Mr. Renzi, welcome to the program. How you doing? Great to be here. Thank you for appearing. Uh, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about Beckett? Sure. Um, I'm the well. I'm Mark Renzi. I uh, have a couple different jobs. I'm a law professor at Catholic University and at Harvard Law School, where I teach religious liberty classes. And I'm also the president of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. At Beckett, we litigate religious freedom cases for people of all faiths. And we uh, you know, stand for the proposition that uh, the religious impulse is natural, a natural part of, of, of being a human being. Uh, many people have it. The government shouldn't uh, stop people from pursuing their religious faith. And so we defend people of all different religious faiths in the court system, and we, uh, we do quite a lot of that. Uh, Mr. Renzi, the, specifically why I invited you on this program is I read an op-ed article that you had published in the Washington Examiner, and it's titled, Five Potential Victories for Religious Liberty in 2019. We, of course, at the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate are very, very interested in such cases. In fact, we're probably involved in several of them as uh, with amicus briefs. Uh, one of the ones that you have listed here, uh, which actually has uh, had had some recent uh, movement is will foster families be able to continue working with religious adoption agencies as you know there's been a movement recently uh to ban or at least uh, not allow religious uh religious adoption agencies or foster family agencies mm -hmm. from receipt that receive federal fund if they will not help adoption to say for example a gay child uh, gay parent you know for example a catholic agency would not do that uh, although just recently uh, there was a, a H, an HHS uh, mandate that uh, to South Carolina for a, a Protestant adoption agency there that said that they could. So we'll see where it goes from there. You point out that the Third Circuit Court is going to decide whether a Catholic ministry has the right to serve families according to its faith. And note also that the ACLU is trying to shut down the agency because it uh, that partners with the state because of its religious beliefs. Could you expand on that a little bit and why you think we might win that one? Oh, sure. So that case is Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. Um, and that case involves some foster parents. Uh, Sharon L. Fulton is, uh, is the lead plaintiff there. That's why her name is on it. But Sharon L. Fulton and several other foster parents and the Archdiocese of Philadelphia there Catholic Social Services group 
that has been doing foster and adoption care in Philadelphia since long before the city of Philadelphia had anything to do with it. They were, uh, the Catholic Church has been doing this in Philadelphia for a very long time. And they've been doing a great job of it. They've been helping people, uh, people, uh, get and take care of these children who, who really need help. Uh, you know, kids in foster care are children who, who need real help, and the Catholic Church has been very good over many, many years at finding families for those children to live in. Philadelphia uh, created this conflict, even though there is no indication that there are any gay couples in Philadelphia who have ever asked the Catholic Church to review their family situation for foster and adoption care. So in other words, this is not a situation where there is some same-sex family in Philadelphia who wants to adopt or wants to foster, but is being stopped by the Catholic Church. Um, There's no such thing. What it is, is there are a lot of different agencies who work with the city of Philadelphia, some religious, some not. And any one of those agencies can do the home study, and the home study requires the agency to go in and evaluate all of the relationships in the home and give a recommendation as to whether something is, uh, whether uh, they endorse that home as, as a good one to put kids in. Well, it shouldn't surprise people that the Catholic Church has beliefs about sex and marriage. So the Catholic Church doesn't, um, or wouldn't if they were asked, doesn't do the home studies and endorse unmarried cohabiting couples, heterosexual couples or same-sex couples. The irony in that case is that there aren't any gay couples in Philadelphia who want the Catholic Church to come into their home and evaluate their relationships, because they know that they have a disagreement with the Catholic Church. But despite all that, the city of Philadelphia is trying to shut down Catholic charities, close this agency, which takes care of about 100 kids, even though the city has a current shortage of foster agencies and foster families. And so it's really a, it's a sad example of a culture war fight that people feel the need to bring any place and every place and kick people out of the public square, even if they're helping, if they don't have, you know, the what some people think are the right views about sex and marriage. I've been following the Philadelphia case rather closely. There were 26 adoption agencies that are recognized by the city of Philadelphia that received public funding. They objected to two of them, Catholic Social Services, and I believe the other one was Bethany, which has a very similar... Yeah, Bethany, Bethany actually doesn't... Uh, Beth, Bethany is okay doing the home studies for same-sex couples. Uh, it's, at this point, it's, it's only Catholic Social Services, oh. so it, it's every agency in the city except for Catholic, is willing to do this, which is why no gay couples have come to the Catholic Church and said, hey, Catholic Church, can you please evaluate my family life? Because, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine why somebody would want that. Well, the same, the same week that they, they, they said they wouldn't work with Catholic Social Services, the city also put out an urgent need for 300 foster families. Well, that's the real, that's the real sadness and shame of the whole case, is that they know they need more families, and... Catholic Social Services has actually been great through the through Catholic networks and through Catholic parishes at bringing those families to the table to get them to foster. And the idea that while we have a crisis, we have too many kids in foster care, we don't have enough places to put them, we don't have enough loving families. The idea that to fight a culture war battle, the city would kick out one of its best and most helpful partners in this and say, sorry, we don't want your help, we don't want the families that work with you to be able to help anymore 
just because we disagree with your views on 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 marriage um, is a pretty it's a pretty sad state of affairs. And and the people who really suffer, it's not the Catholic Church that really suffers; it's the children who they would help who would really suffer. Well, it's moving through the uh, circuit court uh, right now, and of course, the HHS has been involved as well uh, with its uh, with its uh, dictums. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Another one that you have pointed out in this uh, op-ed is: Will the Supreme Court end anti-religion lawsuits over religious symbols in the public square? Now, one of the things, for example, is the uh, Bladensburg Cross, which the Supreme Court, I believe, is going to be hearing. That was a cross that was erected by Bladensburg uh, in Bladensburg County, Maryland, to honor, I think it was 46 uh, of its residents who were, who were killed in the First World War. And it has yep. it just stood there as a memorial to these, to these people. I believe it was put up by the American Legion as well. And now an atheist group wants it, uh, wants it demolished. Yeah, and this is one that the Supreme Court is hearing uh, this spring and that, you know, in many respects ought to be a pretty easy case, which is our Constitution forbids the establishment of religion, but it does not require the government to kick religion out of the public square or off of government property. Uh, this is a cross that was erected originally on private property. The government took the land because they were building a highway, and now the claim is, well, since the government took the land, now they also have to take down the cross. That is, I mean, it, it's kind of eerily and sadly rep- reminiscent of the Soviet Union, you know, in the, in the communist bloc countries. They used to, when, you know, before uh, Pope John Paul II was Pope John Paul, when he was, uh, he was a, a bishop in, uh, in Poland, he used to have these fights with the Soviets where the people in Poland wanted to have a mass, and so they'd put up a cross. And every time they put up a cross, the Soviets came and steamrolled the cross because they, they wouldn't let a cross linger any place uh, in the public square. They had to take it down. This is essentially people claiming that the U.S. Constitution requires our government to act like the Soviets. And because people have expressed anything that looks religious, they say the Constitution requires the government to, to make them take it down and get rid of it. And that's just, that's not the constitutional bargain. That's not what the Constitution says. That's not what it does. And I don't think it's, frankly, all that difficult a case. If that cross established religion... You know what religion is it? Is it is it is it Lutheran? Is it Protestant, some other Protestant denomination? Are we Catholics? What what religion is this country? And the answer, of course, is we have no orig- or official religion. This is a country of people of all different kinds of religious faiths and no faith at all. That's that's who we defend at the Beckett Fund is people of all faiths. And so it's kind of preposterous to say that erecting a war memorial cross on land that the government eventually takes to build a highway is somehow the government establishing a religion. The government established nothing. There is no established religion. And it'll, it'll be really good for the Supreme Court to issue a good, strong, broad opinion that says these types of symbols, they don't establish anything. You might not like it. Um, governments put up symbols people don't like all the time. Um, <laughs> That's but, the that, but that doesn't mean it's unconstitutional. Another one that you pointed out here is kind of a uh, uh, kind of a an issue that I think a lot of people are unaware of. But I know we in the LCMS have been following this one very very closely because it does impact us. Will the court protect religious groups from one billion dollars in new taxes? Now, what this is about is that many uh, churches, including ours has a tax-exempt housing allowance for faith leaders so that they can live and work in the communities that they serve. However, the uh, usual suspects, as we call them, decide that this is a bad idea and they want to tax them. That would uh, put in a, a billion new dollars taxes on on uh, worship worldwide. The Seventh Circuit's soon going to be hearing about that if the uh, IRS can force faith leaders to 
to uh, have a special tax, uh, spe- uh, excuse me, to have a, a special tax shelter or not. Uh, we in the LCMS say this is definitely threatening to us and to the communities that we serve. Yeah, well, I think the opponents of religion don't like the fact that churches have tax exemptions. And, of course, the, the founders and the, the people who wrote the tax code in the last century have all for a long time rightly thought that, look, the, you know, there, there ought to be a separation of church and state, but that also ought to include the government ought not muck around in the financial dealings of churches very much. And that's something that, you know, for a long time was, was essentially beyond dispute. But, of course, the folks who don't like religion and don't like religious institutions are always sort of looking around for where can they find a way to force the government to, to get its fingers involved in churches and to, and to tax them. The irony of this case is that there are housing allowances for lots of different types of work. If, if your employer in a lot of different fields has, has a business-related reason for wanting to make you live in a particular area so that you can, you can, you know, be right there to work, whether it's on a military base or whether you're a firefighter, things like that. The tax code allows for those kinds of housing allowances. And so it's not surprising to think that religious groups need their religious leaders and pastors and so forth to live close to the, to the people in the religious group, whether it's a, a congregation or a, or, or a uh, synagogue or whatever it may be. And so this is really just allowing religious groups to have the same types of benefits that people in other fields have. Of course, the, the, the folks who don't like religion and religious groups are just eager to find ways to make the government tax them because they, they just like doing things like that. But uh, it's not, it's, again, one that's not a very difficult case. The Seventh Circuit's already heard arguments. It, it, would, be a, it would be a pretty big shock if the court were to rule against the churches on this one. One argument I've heard is that, uh, well, we just sit on our money or we don't use it properly. Now, I will point out that the LCMS in the past 10 to 15 years, just out of our international center here in St. Louis, has funneled more than $130 million to mercy efforts in the United States and around the world. Everything from fighting malaria in Africa to putting in water wells in areas where they're needed to helping uh, refugees to rebuilding areas that are struck by natural disasters. Now, we wouldn't be able to do this if the tax code was revived. Yeah, well, look, from our, from our founding till now and probably till long after we're all gone, uh, religious groups have, have, have done an awful lot of, of the building of civil society work and an awful lot of the caring for the, for the less fortunate. And, and I agree with you. Um, I don't think it's a good thing to siphon that money off and give it to the IRS and to pour it into some big bureaucracy in, in Washington. There's a lot, a lot of people who get helped by, by schools and hospitals and nursing homes and soup kitchens and things like that. And the idea that we should punish the religious groups extra, we shouldn't give them the ability to have their leaders live close by and so forth. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, it's not going to make anybody's lives better off. It's going to make people worse. Another point that you brought up was, will religious student groups be allowed on campus? Now, uh, there are a number of, of, of specific cases that have been involved in this. One that I've been following is the Business Leaders in Christ. That's a Christian student group at the University of Iowa. And uh, what's happened is that the uh, university there says that this group has to, <clears throat> excuse me, that this group is in trouble because they will not accept uh, leaders who will not say that they're Christian. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, even to describe the case is almost to make fun of it. This is a government entity, a state university, saying to a Christian group, you're not allowed to have leaders who are Christian. 
And, and it's fine. I mean, they, they say both. You're not allowed to require your leaders to be Christian. And then if you get a leader who's a non-Christian, you're not allowed to try to convince them to become a Christian, which is, you know, absurd because you think the point of almost any student group is to convince people of, of something, right? You know, if you're the college Democrats, your goal is to convince people to be Democrats, and that ought not be such a such shocking or surprising thing. But the schools are trying to say that, well, religion is special and specially bad, and therefore the government can insist that they can tell the Christian student group or the Muslim or the Jewish student group who their leaders have to be, and they can tell them that they are not allowed to insist on having leaders who share their faith. So, I mean, imagine having a Bible study led by somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible. The idea that this is the, the, the right way to do it, or the Constitution requires that, is, is, is pretty, pretty wild. Yet um, there are a lot of these public universities that take this view. We're litigating that in the lower courts, and um, I think the, the law is pretty clear. The government doesn't get to tell religious groups who their leaders can be. They don't get to tell religious, leader, religious groups what they're allowed to try to convince their leaders of. And at a state-run institution, there's simply no room for the government to discriminate against religion like this. And I should point out that it's not just Christian groups that are suffering from this. Oh, no, it's certainly not. It's Jewish groups and Muslim groups there. Um, there, it started out as just Christian groups, but I think the the schools have gotten the message that um, it looks too targeted if they only go for the Christian groups. So they're they're now expanding, and it's um, you know it's a, it's a bad it's a bad thing. It's not it's not good to let government try to drive religion off of college campuses. Not not every eighteen to twenty something year old wants to explore their faith and grow in their faith when they're on the college campus, but a lot do, and those students should be free to do that, and their government shouldn't be trying to stop it. Another case, uh, the fifth point that you brought out, Little Sisters of the Poor. California and Pennsylvania will not let these people go alone despite the Supreme Court rulings. What's going on with this? It's the case that never ends. If somebody had asked you seven years ago to come up with a good way to get contraceptives to every woman in the country, you could have asked a thousand people and nobody would have said, well, let's involve the nuns. Let's get some Catholic nuns. They'd be good at it. Yet somehow both the Obama administration and then after them, these attorney generals in, um, in some of these states have decided that the only way the government can get contraceptives to everybody is by making nuns do it. And it's, you know, it's idiotic, frankly. But, you know, the government of the United States can put a man on the moon and can put mail in your mailbox every day. If they want everybody to have contraceptives, they can get them to them. But the idea that anybody thinks you need nuns to give those things out is, is absurd. It's, it, you don't need nuns. These governments all have lots of different ways that they provide contraceptives and other medicines to anybody who they want to provide them to. And yet they are all in court telling federal judges, oh, I can't do it without sister. And that's, that's a losing proposition. It's one that we spent five years litigating and ultimately beat the Obama administration on. And now, after we've beaten, we beat the Obama administration, and then in the end, the, the Trump administration had it at the end when the final orders were entered. But now that we've beaten the federal government, these attorneys general have gone into court and said, oh, well, the states have a right to force the federal government to force the nuns to give out contraception. It's really, uh, it's really a bizarre argument. It's particularly bizarre coming from states, some of which don't force any employers to cover contraception. So, like, the state of Pennsylvania is the lead plaintiff in one of these cases. And their attorney general, Josh Shapiro, is in court arguing against the Little Sisters of the Poor. The state doesn't force any employers to, to cover contraceptives. So they don't even have their own contraceptive mandate. Yet they're saying the federal government's not allowed to exempt nuns 
from a federal contraceptive mandate. It's really, uh, it's really kind of an off-the-wall argument. It, it has no chance of, of winning in the long run. And, and the unfortunate consequence is it takes good people like the Little Sisters of the Poor, who for years have just said, hey, can I go back to taking care of uh, the elderly poor? Can I go back to just doing what I'm here to do? And, you know, these, these aggressive governments just can't help dragging them back into court and saying, no, 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 sister, we need you to give out the, these drugs. And that, that's, that's really a sad commentary on things. The good news is that argument is just not going to win in the long, in the long run because government has so many other ways to do it that they're not going to ultimately convince the courts to force the nuns to do this. I don't understand where the Supreme Court of the United States has twice ruled in the Little Sisters' favor. The Department of Health and, Service, uh, Health and Human Services has also issued directives uh, that, that protect them. And yet somehow these states feel that they are not bound by federal court decisions and federal rules? Yeah, well, they're just they're bringing slightly different and more aggressive claims. They're, they're arguing things that the Obama administration didn't bother arguing, frankly, because I think the Obama administration knew the arguments were, were such loser arguments. Um, so, for example, they're arguing that the Establishment Clause makes it illegal to give the nuns a religious exemption. No, the Obama administration didn't even make that argument, and not a single justice in Hobby Lobby thought that was right. And yet here are these states arguing this new, further-out-there kind of argument. So they're pursuing arguments that were on the cutting room floor the last time around because they were so such bad arguments, and they're saying, well, I've, I've got something different here. But, but their argument is, the arguments are very, very weak. And this one could well wind up before the Supreme Court for a third time. Either we'll win it in the courts of appeal, or yes, they'll go back to the Supreme Court for one last, uh, one last show. But, but this is, frankly, an easier case than the last cases. All we're saying is that the federal government is allowed to give religious exemptions. The states just, states just can't win that argument. They're not, they're not going to win and say the federal government is not allowed to have religious exemptions. We've had religious exemptions in our law since before we were a country, and from right at the start, there's no, there's no plausible argument that they're not allowed. Well, Mr. Renzi, we're about running out of time. Could you address to the audience how they can get in touch with uh, Beckett and how they can follow what you are doing in, in the cause of religious liberty? Sure. If you just Google Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, our, and our website is beckettlaw.org. Again, or you just Google Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, you can find out about all of our cases, find out how to support our work. If you're interested, you can read news articles about it. There's tons of information there for people to follow our work, and, uh, and we appreciate all the support that we, that we get that lets us do this good work for, for, for a lot of really great clients who need our help. Thank you very much for being on the program, Mr. Renzi. We really appreciate it. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.